0: let's just jump into it we're going to be in psalm 34 for today and next week it looks like so let's jump in psalm 34 let me give you a little background so you can understand how this song ever came to be this is coming from the heart of david he has been anointed king if you will but he is not yet king matter of fact this psalm comes from the experience he had receiving that blessing that calling from god and yet not yet being in the palace This happens right after 1 Samuel chapter 21, where David has discovered that King Saul is so bitter and so angry that the throne is going to go to him, that God has picked David instead of him, that he has sworn he is going to take David's life. The most wanted posters are out. David's life is in great jeopardy, and he is running for his life. He has just lost that intimate friendship with Jonathan. Now, that would always be there, but but he has had to separate in that moment. Jonathan would protect his life and would give him the warning that, yes, my dad wants to kill you and you need to flee, and they parted in that moment. And so he is all alone, separated from his best friend. He doesn't have a band of mighty warriors yet. He's all alone, and knowing that the king, with all the resources, has unleashed all of his fury to make sure David doesn't live another day. As he is struggling in those moments, he makes his way, and it's so desperate, he runs to the land of Gath. Uh, you might be familiar with that part why would he go there that was the land of the Philistines matter of fact that was the home territory of Goliath who he had slain surely he would not be welcome there and maybe that's his thinking Saul would never look for me there word has gotten out that David is in the land and so he has to literally fake a sickness and looks like a wild crazy man just so Achish won't take his life it's a desperate moment and desperate times and Now David finds his way all the way to a cave. In the safety of that moment, he actually finds the truths of this psalm, that he isn't alone, that he isn't without resources, that he has nothing to fear, even though he has a mighty opponent and a mighty enemy. His God shall take care of him. Now, how did he learn this lesson? Look at verse 6. Go to verse 6 this morning. Look at his testimony. This poor man cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. David, a poor man. Now, this isn't speaking of his financial condition. This isn't uh, speaking of his bank account. This is talking about his heart account. He had been humbled. Can you imagine? Everybody's been singing the songs. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his 10,000s. Number one hit on the radio. Everybody's singing about this giant killer named David. Don't you know he had to get a little bit of the big head? Don't you think he was just a little bit confident in who he was in the Lord? And the Lord is allowing him to have his heart trained up for bigger and greater things, to lead his people, and to be a man after God's own heart. And so the Lord is allowing these things. He's being humbled, and that word for poor means spiritual poverty, if you will, a soulish poverty, that he has come to the end of himself, and he has declared, I am nothing, but he is everything. He is poor in spirit. That's the best place to ever be. It's to realize I can't do this on my own. I'm not Superman, and I'm not a giant killer, but I can do all things through Christ, who then allows me to kill and experience the slaying of the giant. And that's where David has landed. It wasn't his slingshot. It wasn't his uh, great charisma and his great leadership skills. It was the Lord who was upon him, and he cried out to the Lord and said, "Lord, I need your help. Not a better place to be. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't go into any day knowing that there's an enemy who is pursuing you to kill, steal and destroy, that you shouldn't find yourselves in that same place of declaring your, your, your poverty. Lord today, I'm humbled. And Lord, I acknowledge to you in this day that you've made, Lord, I need you to be my refuge and my strength. I need you to be my all in all. And God, I call out to you in my times of trouble. Anybody else having troubles on this planet? Or is it just me? The longer I live, the more I realize this is not my home. What I used to cling to in my younger years, I'm ready to trade up and trade out, aren't you? But until that day... We have to come to that place where we realize he is our all in all. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary on Psalm 34, says, This psalm is for anyone who's between a rock and a hard place. Anybody there? And he said, For David, his rock was King Saul. And then he says, On the other hand, he finds that he's also got King Achish that is trying to also be concerned, and he's stuck in a rock and a hard place. You ever been there? Maybe you're there now well that's a great place to find yourself believe it or not because that's where you will experience the strength of the lord like never before so how how do you get beyond that rock and that hard place how do you get to a place of confidence and victory and when everything else looks like it's stacked against you how do you find your victory go to verse 8 drop down to verse 8 for just a moment we're going to come back and look at the other parts but i want you to look in at this beautiful verse that we find, verse 8. "O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For to those who fear him, there is no want. David would later write that in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me to green pastures. He leads me where I need to go. He leads me through valleys. He leads me everywhere I go, and I don't want for another thing because I have all I need in him. And so verse 8 tells us we need to do the taste test to see that he is good. Now, if you're not careful by living on this planet, you will go through many, many bitter experiences. This life will not treat you well or fair from time to time. You will be between a rock and a hard place. But we don't let that bitter experience rob us of the taste that God is good. So let's take a taste test. On the screen, I'm going to put up a fruit. Tell me, do you anticipate that if you were to ingest that fruit there, would you expect that to be bitter or sweet? Yeah, the the projector doesn't do it justice, all right? If you're thinking that's an orange, it's not. It's actually a lime. So we'll pray over your condition this morning, even right now. The lime, bitter or sweet? Bitter, right? How do you know? Because you've tasted it. Let me give you another one. Also a fruit. Take a look at the next slide. Bitter or sweet? Delicious. Delicious. That's good right there. Boy, that is sweet. Now, you can pick it a little early and maybe a little tart. Still better than the lime. And here's what happens. Many people who taste life, who go through this life and ingest the issues of bitter things in their life, draw a conclusion that God is bitter as well. If God loved me, I wouldn't be going through this. Oh, really? Reason we're going through it is because man invited sin into the equation. You will have bitter experiences, but don't tell me what the strawberry tastes like because of the lime. A lot of people are doing that with God. They're blaming God and becoming bitter at God because they've tasted bitter things. And David said, I'm experiencing bitter things. I'm going through difficulties. I've done nothing wrong, and yet Saul wants to take my very life. But that didn't change his appetite for who God is and what God does. Taste and see that he is good. What's beautiful about Job's testimony is he never, ever declared that God was not good, that God was wrong, or that God was the one who brought the hard times or the evil, he always looked to God because he had tasted and seen that he is good. So what does it mean to taste and see that God is good? Well, think about today. Perhaps already you have already ingested something for breakfast or something on the way to church, or you're thinking already about what you're about to take into you after you leave this place. And all through this day, it's amazing how much our day is driven by our desire to taste some food and to bring in, we call it nourishment, it may not be nourishment, but we'll call it our sustenance. And that's why we eat and that's why we taste, because we need food to stay alive. Well, I would tell you that you need more than just the food of this world. Oh, that we would hunger for the Lord God as much as we hunger for our carbs and our calories. Oh, that we would be as uh, throughout the whole day. I don't know about you, but there isn't a day that goes by that all throughout the day I'm not thinking about my next meal. That I'm not thinking about what am I going to eat? Where are we going to eat? What are we going to do? What's the menu? It's all planned out. And yet how many people go through a day without tasting of the Lord? Without taking in the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He is our sustenance. And yet, how many of us are fasting spiritually, fasting from the bread of life, rather than fasting as a spiritual discipline because we are ingesting the bread of life? David would learn that he couldn't find it in a slingshot. He couldn't find it in a throne. He couldn't find it on this earth. He could only find what he was looking for in the Lord. And feeding off that relationship, not just for breakfast. But for lunch and dinner and all day long, taste and see that he is good. Now, we can all testify that there are some things we have tasted that are not good. So in your mind, put together your top five worst tastes you've ever—something you've tasted, worst five, what would make your list? I'm going to help you with mine. Here we go. Number one, number one, number one. It should be on everybody's list. Lima beans. Lima beans. A tool of the devil to steal the joy of your life on this planet. They are evil, and I'm convinced they are a result of the fall. They are disgusting. As far as my tongue says, lima beans makes the top of the list. Can I get an amen from sp- spiritual people in the room? Now, some of you, maybe, maybe you had a family recipe that made it a little bit better, but it had to be drowned in a lot of barbecue sauce or ice cream or something to get by with it. Lima beans, holy cow. Hominy What is hominy anyway? Hominy. Hominy, hominy, hominy. Doesn't even sound right. Beef liver. Beef liver makes the list. Beef liver. Disgusting. Disgusting. And of course, broccoli always takes a beating in the polls. Now, I personally like broccoli. Some may say, cauliflower, you have your own list. And man, I'd love to hear it. You can email me this week and let's add to the list. And our tongue immediately tells us that's evil. That is not good. That does not belong here. And yet spiritually we're taking in so much junk and we're taking in all the stuff, these things of the world, and we think it's good for us and we think it's going to make us joyful and happy. And our spirit, the spirit of God in us is telling us, that's lima beans. <laughs> Don't go there. Let's make another list. Something you taste and you, you, you would taste it. If they said for your birthday every year, one thing, what goes to the top of your best taste list? what is it that you love more than anything else what goes on in your top five faves well for some it might be macaroni and cheese that seems to be a favorite all the way down to the youngins you can learn the top five just watching your grandkids there's only five things they'll eat macaroni and cheese pizza pizza universal love language better than pizza bacon say it with me bacon you just feel spiritual bacon bacon goes on anything and everything it is the antithesis of lima beans it's God helping you out because we live among the lima beans and then of course the all-time favorite God's will for mankind as we've always said that would be ice cream amen ice cream so there are things that we taste and they are good and they just make you happy when you think about them we call them comfort foods When I say the Lord God, the Lord Jesus Christ, does that name sound sweeter than ice cream? Does that name sound sweeter than a strawberry to you? Have you tasted of the Lord? Are you tasting of the Lord? And is he sweet? And is he good? And is he pleasant? They tell us about our ability to taste that there are basically five different types of tastes that we take in. Sweet, Here we find that uh, the Lord is sweet. He is good. And who doesn't love sweets? The Lord is sweet, his sweet, loving kindness. We also can taste sour, the opposite of sweet, and that's exactly where the enemy wants to land you. He wants to convince you that that God is sour and and that you should be bitter towards him and that he is not a God of joy and sweetness. He's actually a cruel, harsh God. He loves to distort your tastes. There's also salty, which causes us to thirst for even more. There's savory, which is heart satisfying. And then there's bitter, the robbing of our appetite. Well, the enemy loves to rob your appetite. And so if you go back to verse 8, he says, taste and see. Taste and see. They've taught us that not only what a food tastes like, but what it looks like really does matter. Case in point, slide number one. How about this one? Take a look at this next feature on the menu. Anybody ordering this when you go out for lunch? Hello, is it cut? Oh, you gotta be kidding me. Man, these are the best slides in America right here, man, and they're locked up. Coming back or not coming back. back? They're gonna come back, we'll get to them, we'll get there, so let me say this as we allow technology to catch up. Um, They tell us that what you see impacts what it tastes like. If you go to a restaurant and it's very low light, I know that can be extremely romantic, and that's good if you're in a moment with a special person in your life, but when you're going to try to go after that food and it's all gray looking— They have proven scientifically it doesn't taste as good. If you can't see it well, if it's not bright, if it's not green, it doesn't look fresh, it impacts the way it tastes. Here in a little while, Lord willing, I hope I'll get to show you some proof of that. And I promise you, I can rob you of your appetite this afternoon. As hungry as you are right now, I can rob you of that appetite with just a few slides with God's will being done. So we'll come back. Let's go back to the issue of sight. A lot of people are blinded to who God is. They maybe have tasted, maybe they've been in church, maybe they've been under the preaching of God's Word, maybe they've read through the Bible. Maybe they even grew up in church and they've tasted of the Lord, and yet the things they are seeing, the things that are before their eyes are distracting them from seeing God for who He really is. The enemy came to Eve in the garden and said, you know, God doesn't want you to eat from that tree. Let me tell you why. You see that fruit? Look how good it looks. And with her eyes, she was looking at that fruit. God just is a mean God. God doesn't want you to have fun. God doesn't want you. He'll give you all this other stuff, but he ain't going to give you the best fruit. God's holding out on you. God doesn't want you to be like him. He was impacting what she was seeing and what she was tasting of the Lord. And she sinned. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4, through four, speaking of unbelievers, says this. That even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. There are those who cannot see God as Savior. They can't understand why they need a Savior. They're blinded by the God of this world, Satan, who has convinced them that either God is so holy and so angry and he will not love them where they are that God couldn't save somebody like me blinded by the God of this world some are blinded by their own supposed goodness well I'm a good guy I I I do my good outweighs my bad surely that's good enough for God and they're blinded by the God of this world they can't see the reality of God's holy love and God's holy grace in John chapter 20 verses 26 through 29 says after eight days his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them now the disciples are hiding they're blinded even these guys that spent three years with jesus they're blinded they've tasted a bitter experience they're losing their appetite for the lord so i told you they tell me it's good i'm going to go back and catch up i'm going to take your appetite away just like satan had just done for the 12 disciples what i want you to do go to lunch today and i want you to order that you got to go to the chinese restaurant to get this one tuna eyeballs right there tuna eyeballs for lunch now these are legitimate menu items somewhere on this planet all right how about that for lunch starting to lose your appetite let's go to the next one everybody loves everybody loves chicken wings chicken feet. how about some chicken feet chew on those for a while gnaw on no suck on those for lunch and call it done no nobody's going there and one last thing This has got to be the third course of the meal. We've gone from tuna eyeballs. We've gone now to chicken feet. Give them the last one. We got it? There you have. Everybody loves a Baptist casserole. Amen? Bring that to potluck pioneers, guys. Bring that in. You probably can't see it real good. Those things sticking out, that's fish heads. The whole fish is in that casserole. Fish, casserole, tuna casserole, say no to all of it, all the time. Now, nobody's going to go buy that for lunch. And if that's all that was available to you on your deserted island, you would starve to death. Robbing you of your appetite. Well, the disciples, they got robbed of their appetite for the Lord. They're hiding. Jesus has been crucified, buried in a tomb. We wake up in John chapter 20, verse 27, or verse 26. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came. Now, some of them their appetites were turning they had seen the Lord but not Thomas Thomas was hearing others say that the Lord was alive that the Lord is resurrected and he said I will not believe I can't believe it unless I see it really and as he is struggling not tasting that the Lord is good and being one of his followers is good Jesus appears Jesus came The doors having been shut, he stood in their midst and he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here, your hand and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. He was able to see the resurrected Lord. And there are some people who say today, you know, if I had that kind of experience, the Lord just automatically popped right in front of me right now. Well, number one, you would kill over dead. You would not be able to handle it. But I would tell you this, that just seeing isn't believing. The Bible says that I believe, depends on your eschatology, I believe the Lord will literally set up a millennial reign on this earth. He will return. He says he's coming back a second time. And there will be people on this planet that see Jesus return a second time. They will see it with their very own eyes. And guess what? They still won't believe. Are you kidding me? How in the world can you see that and not believe? But listen, Jesus said to him, verse 29, Because you have seen me, you believe? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. Jesus has never manifested physically in a room in my presence since I've been on this planet. But I can tell you, I have seen the Lord. I can tell you he appeared to me. I remember exactly where I was. I was at convention hall. It was a late night in my town. It was a big pizza blast. That's what got me there. I had to taste some pizza to get to Jesus they pulled off this big pizza blast they brought in a big evangelist named jay strack and i came under the preaching of god's word after nine months of hearing it in a church with cammy and i remember that night all of a sudden i saw jesus for the very first time i'd heard about him i had been hearing about it for nine months i had been hearing his voice speaking to my heart but i'm telling you on that night i saw him more importantly i saw me like david a poor man I couldn't stand there in my righteousness. I couldn't stand there in my own resume. I had to declare that I had fallen short of the glory of God, that I was a sinner. And that night I saw Jesus as my Savior. And everything has been different since. I may not have seen him with my physical eye, but I saw him with the eyes of my heart. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 says, Paul's prayer. He says, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you'd be able to see what nobody else sees in the knowledge of him. I pray that the, listen to this, I pray that the eyes of your heart, Thomas said, I got to see it with these eyes. Jesus said, no, you got to see it with these eyes. It isn't what you see, it isn't what you taste on this earth, it isn't what you know in your mind and in your brain, you got to experience it right here in your heart, for it's, with the fa- it's by faith that we are saved, and it's with the heart man believes, not the brain, but the heart. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory, the inheritance that is yours, the saint's also what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe you see that's what david was going to see in these days as he was running for his life as he was doing everything he could connive his way through to try to find some kind of place where saul could never find him he finally saw the light it isn't a cave that's going to save me it isn't my clever ingenuity that's going to save me my god is my refuge and my god is my deliverance it is the power of god that i look to not my sword oh guess what he ended up when he was in the land of gath he went running into a priest he got him some consecrated bread and he had no weapons and he said do you have anything do you have any i've come i had to do an urgent task for the king i have no weapons and he said hey we just happen to have goliath's sword here he said that's the mightiest sword in the land give it to me and what he would discover is that no sword on this planet could deliver him from his enemy that very sword that came against him in the field how did david overcome that sword through the power of god and he had to be reminded of that lesson the power of god's greatness towards us who believe so go back to psalm 34 let's wrap it up psalm 34 verse 9. I know you're ready for some tuna eyeballs. Let's go. (laughs) Fear the Lord, you saints. Taste and see that he is good. See that he is good. Taste of the Lord, but also fear the Lord. The third thing he says, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him, there is no want. This word for fear, obviously, is not be afraid of him. Don't worry. Don't be hunkering down like God's going to zap you with a lightning bolt. He's not a lightning bolt God. He is a heavenly father. And just like you should look to your daddy when you were a little kid and you knew that your daddy could whip anybody else's daddy on the playground and you had that awe of who your daddy was, super dad, you can either see God as brutal man or you can see him as Superman. You can either see him as your heavenly father or you can see him as a holy, angry, ugly God. Taste and see that he is good and when you do now back up to verse one and we'll close taste and see that he is good and when you do you will bless the lord at all times it doesn't matter what the times are it doesn't matter what the times are bringing you will bless the lord at all times his praise will be continually in your mouth your soul will make its boast in the lord the humble will hear it and they will rejoice oh magnify the lord with me let us exalt his name together verse four For I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. Mm -hmm. They looked to him and they were radiant. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Mm -hmm. For know this, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Can you see him all of a sudden looking at that sword of Goliath? this big old honking sword that he's carrying around with him as if that's going to fight off a whole army? And can you see him all of a sudden realizing and going back to that day when he was in that field as a little shepherd boy? And he can see Goliath running at him with that sword and that big old huge shield, and he watched that man go down. Because greater is he that's in us than any giant in this land, than any problem we may face. And on that day... David understood way back then, my God shall deliver you into my hand. He didn't have a big old sword. He didn't have a big old shield. He had something bigger. And so do you. You have all you need. Second Peter tells us, we have everything we need according from his divine nature. We have everything we need for life and for godliness. It comes from him. Taste and see that he is good and when you taste of him you don't find that you're hungry for anything else you can go to the best restaurant in this town you can load up you can get all the entrees you want it may be a little bit longer than normal but i promise you you're going to be hungry eventually again but the lord when you taste him when he is your sustenance he is also your provider and your protector O oh, taste and see the Lord is good. How blessed is a man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you as saints, for to those who fear him there is no want. The young lions do lack and they suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Do you find yourself wanting today? Do you find yourself searching today? Do you find yourself struggling today? Do you find yourself anxious today? Do you find yourself wondering, what is it going to take? Taste. Taste of the Lord, invite him into that hurt, invite him into that emptiness, invite him into that vacuum and you will not be found wanting. Let's pray together with every head bowed and every eye closed. Will you leave here being driven by your physical appetite? Or today like David, do you have to be reminded again The Lord is the bread of life. The Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is everything. Taste of him. Take that in today and and let him be your sustenance. And then you experience the goodness of God. And as you experience the goodness of God, it turns into the godliness that flows from our life that path that is holy that path that is right and part of the reason why life tastes so bitter right now perhaps is a path you've taken a choice you've made and perhaps not even that David had not done anything wrong and yet he was experiencing bitter circumstance because he lived on this planet so all of us live on this planet all of us will taste bitter things like the lime you can draw a conclusion that the strawberry also must be bitter some are drawing that conclusion about God now, repent. Taste of the Lord today, and he will show you his sweet love and grace. If you've never been saved, if you just know who God is, but you've never seen God for who he is. Today, call in the name of the Lord, and you can be saved. Today, you could experience the sweetness of that grace and that mercy that's you online you can pray right where you are and you can acknowledge God we'll not be doing a come forward invitation this morning for one more week we'll return to that next week but you can communicate on a card or you can email us at ministry at pcbc.tv today just write us email us I gave my life to Christ maybe you need a church family you can email that and say I want to join pcbc I need somebody to pray with me I need to repent of my bitter attitude and my bitter heart. We'll pray with you. We'll encourage you. But for those in this very room, I would not leave here if there's bitterness in your mouth and in your heart. Let God change that taste. Let God be God in you. You say, how do I do that? Well, nobody's going to have any problem taking in lunch. You know how to do that. Take in Jesus. Take in Jesus. Father, I pray right now a blessing on each and every person, not just in this room, but also who are worshiping with us online. God, I pray that today they would turn to you and taste and see that you are good. Lord, that you would reveal yourself in a powerful way that they could see, not with their eyes, but I pray for the eyes of their heart, Lord, that they would see you for who you truly are. I bind the lies of the enemy who comes to blind us and confuse us and distract us but God may your truth set us free thank you Lord Jesus and right now if you've just spoken the Lord and you've given him your heart you've given him your your pain you've given him your struggle give him your thanks now and say God thank you for being so good for God is good all the time.